Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Let's talk about the thing we all want more of, energy. And I've been trying to find a way to keep my energy level steady throughout the entire day, especially in the afternoon, and coffee on its own just wasn't cutting it. And in all honesty, I've been trying to keep coffee to just the morning. Now, thankfully, I found this little shot. I started using Magic Mind and it has become my best friend. As a mama, it helps me so much to stay focused, productive, and feel energized heading into the evening so I can tackle everything that I need to get done. And it has ingredients that I love, including matcha, ashwagandha, and rhodiola. Now, I totally stand behind it because it works, and I know it can help anyone who struggles with lagging energy throughout the day. Now, I also have a 20% off code to share with you. It's Marisa20. To use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash Marisa and enter the code Marisa20 at checkout. Now, the best part is that they have a money back guarantee. And if you get on subscription, which is what we're doing, it's 40% off. Now, my 40% off code only lasts 10 days. So you're going to want to hurry up. All right, let's dive in. The first time I ever heard about polycystic ovarian syndrome, I was 25 years old, and I remember getting a call from one of my very best friends over the phone, and she sounded beyond discouraged. I immediately knew something was very wrong. You know that feeling when someone is about to tell you some news that they're still trying to process themselves? It was that sort of news. And the reason why her PCOS diagnosis hit so hard was because of the stone cold advice she was given by her doctor. Not only was this her fourth doctor, because the other doctors just shrugged off her symptoms as simply bad periods, because obviously bad periods are normal for women. Now, this newest doctor diagnosed her with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which honestly, thank goodness she got an official diagnosis, but then basically told her in the same sentence that she was not going to be able to have kids unless she explored infertility treatment. And the only way to manage her PCOS symptoms was getting on hormonal birth control ASAP. Now, she was shocked and a bit in disbelief as she walked in the door and honestly, How would it feel if you received this news, right? Devastated, confused, angry, all three would be appropriate. Now I was angry for her. I was outraged and I immediately thought there had to be another way. Now, what's really great is that there are other ways to treat the symptoms of PCOS. We have learned so much about PCOS in the past 10 years alone, and there are so many wonderful practitioners and books and programs. And again, this episode is going to dive into a lot of that today that really addresses the root causes of PCOS and then what we can do to start reversing those symptoms so that you feel great in your body. And that's literally what I'm here to talk about today. I want to shed some light on PCOS and some of the natural options that you have to heal your body. Because here's the deal. PCOS is a series of symptoms that can be treated once we understand the root cause. And today, I wanted to dive deeper into the connection between insulin resistance and polycystic ovarian syndrome, because insulin resistance can be one of the main root causes. This was the case for my bestie. Yet, as you heard a little minute ago, it wasn't even a part of the conversation, right? It was, here's your diagnosis, here's your birth control pills, bye bye 
right? If you want to get pregnant, come see us for infertility treatment. So again, I just want you to know if you are struggling with polycystic ovarian syndrome or you've got friends or family members, which no surprise, probably each and every one of us does, there are a wonderful, you know, a wonderful slew of solutions and tools at our fingertips that we can really tap into. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So I want to just first define what is polycystic ovarian syndrome? Well, it is known as an inflammatory endocrine disorder characterized by high androgens. So for example, this would be increased testosterone in the body and elevated luteinizing hormone, although this is not the case for every single person. Now, the elevation of these hormones, these very critical hormones, oftentimes prevent our ovaries from creating follicles that reach the stage of ovulation. In fact, 60% to 80% of women with polycystic ovarian syndrome have excess androgens. Now, these androgens, again, are testosterone, DHEA, DHT. There's a number of them that can be increased that can lead to symptomology. Now, because PCOS prevents the ovarian follicles from reaching the ovulation stage, it causes significant delays in ovulation or even prevents ovulation altogether. This causes irregular or non-existent periods, which is often a classic sign of PCOS. It's often one of the first things that you really notice or suspect that, huh, maybe I am dealing with PCOS here. Now, PCOS is the most prevalent hormone imbalance in women of reproductive age, and it can continue all the way into menopause. There are over 100 million women worldwide, and PCOS is the leading cause of ovulatory infertility. Now, PCOS is not a one-size-fits-all syndrome, obviously, right? Nothing ever is. Hence, women are dismissed for their symptoms or misdiagnosed completely. Now, it, on average, it takes about three to five years for women to get an official polycystic ovarian syndrome diagnosis. But I love episodes like this because you can start looking at and kind of assessing for yourself if some of the symptoms that you're dealing with could be pointing in that direction. And we're going to get to that in just a second. As I mentioned, PCOS is a collection of symptoms that may have different root causes. And some might not even include polycystic ovaries. That's super important to note. In fact, approximately 20% of women who do not have polycystic ovarian syndrome have cysts on their ovaries, and about 30% of women who do have PCOS do not have cysts. And it's important to note that cysts are really not cysts at all. They are follicles that haven't fully developed in the maturation process towards ovulation. Now, here are some of the most common symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I want you to listen closely because, again, if you're struggling with irregular menstrual cycle or you're noticing that you're skipping your period and you're not in perimenopause heading into menopause, this is something we may want to look into as well. So irregular or absent ovulation and periods, fertility issues, depression, sleep issues like sleep apnea, anxiety and mood swings, insulin resistance, elevated androgens, mid-cycle ovulatory pain, acne or oily skin, hair growth on the face or other parts of the body like the chest, male pattern baldness, and unwanted weight gain or an inability to lose weight and potentially obesity. So now that you are aware of the most common symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome, 
how is it officially diagnosed, right? If it takes four to five years to get diagnosed, let's get into the nitty gritty of how it goes down. That way, if you're suspecting that you may have PCOS or maybe you have a friend or a family member or even a daughter who are struggling with irregular periods, I just want to just share not only what those common symptoms are, which we just did, but also how do we get an official diagnosis so you can be advocating for this when you go to your doctor. That way you're not having to go to four or five different doctors like my best friend did back when she was in her 20s. Diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome can be made when at least two out of the three of the following criteria are met. So first criteria, the ovaries are polycystic because... 12 or more follicles are visible on one ovary or the size of one or both ovaries are increased. And this would be done on an ultrasound most of the time. Again, 30% of women with PCOS may not have polycystic ovaries. So super important to note. That's why it says we're looking for two out of the three following criteria. Next, there are high levels of male androgens, male hormones in the blood, right? Hyperandrogenism. Symptoms suggest excess androgens such as excessive facial hair or body hair, again, on like the chin, the face, the chest. Maybe you're noticing scalp hair loss and or acne. But again, you'd want to get tested for those androgens as well. And then the third criteria is there is no there is menstrual dysfunction, such as a lack of periods or menses, so menstrual flow is missing, menstrual irregularities, so inconsistent periods, or a lack of ovulation known as anovulation. This is where an egg is not released. And with this third criteria, I just want to just emphasize how important, how critical it is for us to be tracking our menstrual cycle so we can be looking out for inconsistencies. We can be looking out for the shortening of our period or an elongation of our period, if it's irregular, if we actually ovulate or not. These are really important cues to let us know, are we struggling with insulin resistance? Are we struggling with a sluggish liver? Are we struggling with higher than normal androgens like testosterone? Again, when we track our cycle, we can get more information about what is going on. Now, with these three criteria, a woman can be diagnosed with PCOS even if she has regular periods or normal androgen levels. This means women with PCOS can experience very different types of symptoms, right? It can really range. Now, you cannot treat PCOS until you first ask, why in your unique case do you not ovulate? What's going on? Like, what is going on that's unique to you? Because my best friend having PCOS, her symptoms, the cause, all of those things could be so different if I had PCOS, right? We could have it for different reasons. We could be experiencing different symptoms. You know, again, every single one of us is unique. And that's why I find it's always important to not only know the tools that you've got in your toolbox, but also be working with a practitioner who really understands a very integrated approach, right? Who is not a one pill fix all approach, like putting you on the combination pill. Now, I want to I want to talk a little bit about what causes PCOS. I have people ask me all the time. Now, genetics can play a role, but it doesn't make it your destiny. 
We can always dim down our genes so that they are not fully expressing and leading to symptoms of PCOS, right? We can always dim down our genes for everything. I, I talk about how I have a genetic propensity for type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance as well. And But I'm able to dim that down so that doesn't have to ever be my fate. So one of the biggest root causes, speaking of insulin resistance, for PCOS is insulin resistance. And today I wanna break down that connection because that's the connection we don't often hear a lot about, but man, it's like the elephant in the room. So according to some of the newest research, insulin resistance is one of the root physiological imbalances in most, if not all cases of PCOS. This happens when your pancreas needs to pump out more and more insulin in response to high blood glucose levels. And as I've shared here on the podcast, honestly, a ton of times, Insulin is released by the pancreas in response to elevated blood glucose. Its job is to shuttle the sugar from our blood into the cells so that it can be burned for energy or stored for fat. However, if blood sugar levels are constantly elevated or they're constantly spiking, insulin is constantly being released and we end up leading towards hyperinsulinemia, which means that there is a lot of insulin in the blood at all times. In this case, the cells become resistant to the constant insulin in order to preserve themselves and we need an even bigger signal to lower the blood sugar. Now, when insulin resistance goes on for a while, you can have high levels of insulin and high levels of blood inside of the sugar, leading to prediabetes, obesity, and type 2 diabetes. And if you want to dive deeper into the mechanism of insulin resistance on our reproductive health, I highly recommend checking out episode 288, How Glucose and Insulin Impacts Our Reproductive Health. I'm going to have the link in the show notes. I also have a lot of other episodes diving deeper into insulin resistance, especially in perimenopause and heading into menopause because that's when we really start to see the big shifts and changes. But obviously, we're seeing this in younger girls, in their teenagers, in their 20s. What we may see as, you know, prediabetes in perimenopause, we're seeing as PCOS in our 20s. So kind of just an example of of what can be going down early on in life, and then we start to see it even get worse over time. Now, as it would happen, Insulin is a fat storage hormone that concentrates fat in your abdominal region. So if you're ever wondering why you are struggling with belly fat, yes, it could be cortisol. Yes, it could be stress, but more likely it's a combination of cortisol and it's a combination of insulin resistance that's leading to fat storage in the abdominal area. Now, high insulin levels can tell the ovaries to actually make more testosterone. This is why some women with PCOS have symptoms of excess androgens like dark hairs on the face, chin, and belly. Remember, it was upwards of 80% of women have higher androgens, often related to insulin resistance. Now, high insulin also has the potential to alter the very precise balance of follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, and luteinizing hormone. See, too much insulin causes the pituitary gland to release more luteinizing hormone in proportion to follicular stimulating hormone. Now, too little FSH, follicular stimulating hormone, that the follicles cannot mature adequately and the dominant follicle is never formed. Now, instead, what ends up happening is we end up producing many, many immature follicles, aka cysts on our ovaries, hence polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, if you have polycystic ovarian syndrome, like you've gotten the diagnosis, it's totally worth, and your doctors should be doing it anyway, but if they're not doing it, 
Ask your doctor for fasting insulin and fasting glucose to be drawn, gosh, every three to six months, honestly, along with the hemoglobin A1C. And what we're looking for is we're looking for a fasting insulin level under eight and a fasting blood sugar level, fasting glucose level under 85. That's what we're looking for, right? And that's gonna be in, and we get ourselves back into that optimal range. Now, better yet, you know I've heard, you've heard me talk a lot about this. I really want you to consider investing in a continuous glucose monitor even for two weeks so that you can track your blood sugar in real time and get a clear picture of what foods and lifestyle practices that you're doing every day that could potentially be driving high blood sugar levels, right? Again, the bigger test, the fasting insulin, the fasting glucose, the hemoglobin A1C, these are all great measures to be looking at for, you know, every six months or so, especially with PCOS. But the best way that you can really know what's going on with your body, literally 24-7, is with the CGM. And because there's such a strong connection between insulin resistance and PCOS, especially if you have weight gain that you can't get rid of, like that stubborn belly fat isn't going away, you definitely know that insulin resistance is at play here. And the more information, like real-time information that you can get, the better. So there are so many wonderful companies. There is NutriSense, there's Levels, and there's a couple more out there as well. I've used both NutriSense and Levels, love them both, and they have been so insightful in what drives my blood sugar levels and then what also what activities and hacks I can do to keep my blood sugar under control and stable all day long. Now, because insulin resistance is such a major player as a root cause and as a reason for continued symptoms, here are the biggest culprits for driving insulin resistance and in turn potentially driving worse symptoms of PCOS. So the most common contributor to insulin resistance is well, it's diet, right? It's a diet that is high in simple carbs and processed foods. So if you eat cereal for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, and pasta for dinner, and you top it off with a glass of wine and maybe a little dessert, best believe insulin receptors on your cells are going to become numb to insulin. And your pancreas has to work really, really hard. Your pancreas works overtime to produce more and more and more. Now, another important contributor here is stress. We talked about that, you know, belly fat. It's a combination of insulin resistance and stress. Stress is a big one here. Whether it's working 80 hours a week at a job you are not liking, um, or you're not able to sleep and get that rest and repair, or you are overcommitted because you've got kids, you've got parents, you've got community project, you've got all the things, right? Or it's an internal stress like a chronic infection, or it's eating foods that react with your immune system, or having a high toxic load, these stressors tell your brain to send a, send a signal for cortisol, aka the ultimate survival hormone, the stress hormone, the universal cause all kinds of havoc hormone when it's done too much. It's released from the adrenals. And if cortisol is being overproduced on a regular basis, I'm talking about daily, it can also lead to insulin resistance, right? They are interconnected, those two. So given diet and given stress, right, two major lifestyle factors that are having a major impact on each and every one of our lives, I want to talk about what we can do to restore insulin sensitivity. 
And here's the deal. If you're listening to this and you don't have polycystic ovarian syndrome, but you are concerned about maintaining happy blood sugar levels, this episode is still for you. And if there's someone in your life that is, that's got PCOS and they have no idea about the insulin resistance connection, please take a moment and share this episode with them via text message. So as I mentioned, <laughs> we know now that there's a, a big connection between insulin resistance and PCOS. And I told you I'm going to tell you the ways that we can help reduce insulin inside of the blood. But what I want to do first is I want to tell you what is not helping insulin sensitivity, which is a very common Band-Aid solution for women with PCOS. And that's the pill. The pill is not a treatment for this type or any type of PCOS because it impairs insulin sensitivity. I'm going to repeat that again. The pill, the hormonal birth control pill, is not a treatment for this type or any type of PCOS because it impairs insulin sensitivity. Now, I'm not saying that the pill can't be a Band-Aid. I know that it is, and I know for some people it can be a bit of a godsend, but just note that being on that pill isn't fixing the insulin resistance issue. It isn't fixing the androgen issue, right? We want to get to the root cause. And I believe that each and every one of us deserves root cause solutions. And when it comes to insulin resistance, we know that it has major tentacles in other parts of the body that it can wreak havoc in, right? The brain, the cardiovascular system, um, our inflammation system wide. So again, it's not just the reproductive system that we're, that we're thinking about when it comes to insulin resistance. Just today, I wanted to put a highlight, a spotlight specifically on the reproductive system and polycystic ovarian syndrome. So here are my favorite hacks for stabilizing your blood sugar levels and dropping insulin levels. And what I want to tell you is that integrate as many of these hacks that feel the easiest that you can do. And also, by the way, you can stack these hacks as well. Now, what I love about this is that providing recommendations for insulin resistance is amazing because, again, if 80 plus percent of women with PCOS are struggling with insulin resistance, not only are these a win-win, but I want to plead the case that the majority of us, like 90 plus percent of us after the age of 40 are struggling with some level of insulin resistance. So these hacks are a win for anyone, no matter what. So here we go. Let's get into hack number one. Break your fast whenever you break it with a savory meal with protein, healthy fats, and fiber. So please, please, please do not let that first meal of the day be a sugary breakfast because the first meal of the day sets the tone for your metabolism for the next 48 hours. So what you do at breakfast is going to set your body up for the next two days. And if you raise that fasting blood sugar, because it's gonna be a fasted blood sugar at that time, and spike it, it's gonna be extremely hard to get your blood sugar back under control in the next 48 hours. So just note that if there was a meal to like really dial in with the protein, healthy fats, and fiber, it is breakfast. And for breakfast this morning, we had, we actually had leftovers. We made meatballs last night and we made this really yummy curry cauliflower rice with, with peas. Oh my gosh. And so that's actually what we ended up having this morning for breakfast. Again, you can do, get in where you fit in, do whatever kind of breakfast is easy for you. Leftovers is the easiest for us and Kingston loves it too. So it works out. Number two, start each meal with a plate of veggies or a salad 
and a vinaigrette, right? Something with a little bit of vinegar. I love making vinaigrettes from scratch. I have so many vinaigrettes in my book, The EO Menopause Solution. If you're looking for some fun recipe ideas, I have so many recipes in that book to begin with. And again, when you're making a salad, use a vinaigrette. Also include some fat and protein. If you can start each meal with some veggies or a sexy little salad, man, you are kicking off to a great start. Number three, Eat your food in order. So fiber first. Again, that salad, that plate of veggies, followed by protein and fat, and then your carbs and starches. So for example, we're making a roast tonight. So we're going to have a roast. We're probably going to put some carrots and some potatoes in there, and I'm going to make a really big salad. So we're going to have the salad first. We're going to have the roast. We'll have a little bit of potato and, you know, root vegetables on the side. And so I'll eat the salad. I'll eat the roast and then I'll eat the root veggies. So just kind of give you an example of what that could look like. Number four, dress your carbs with protein and fat. So pair your apple with almond butter or pair your gluten-free toast with avocado and tomato, right? And you can add a little bit of protein to that too. Number five, go for a 20 to 30 minute walk after your meals, especially after dinner. And here's the thing. If you can't get in a 20 to 30 minute walk, no worries. Maybe it's a 10 to 15 minute walk, or maybe it is doing 20 squats, (laughs) getting where you fit in. You just want to move your body. Newest research shows that even five minutes of walking after your meal can make a big difference. Now, I have looked at this on my own continuous glucose monitor, and my sweet spot is 20 minutes, and I have seen my blood sugar and drop by about 30% when I take a walk after a meal. That is how powerful it is. Number six is have dessert after a meal, not for a snack or for breakfast or standalone. So important thing here is if you have your meal with protein, fats, and fiber, right, you are gonna set up the gut and you're gonna set up the intestines to be able to kind of rebound and slow down the blood sugar rise, which is going to be huge. Now, once you have dessert on the back end of that meal, your body is in full digestion mode. It is going to slow down that sugar from hitting the bloodstream. And so you can have a profound impact. But if you were to have dessert for a snack, let's say it's even a snack snack, like let's say it is a kind bar, right? Or it is fruit yogurt or something, granola, you know, or fruit yogurt and granola, whatever, whatever. If you have that as a standalone, let's say at two o'clock in the afternoon, I will tell you what, your blood sugar will spike. You're going to get on the blood sugar roller coaster, guaranteed. Or if you have cereal for breakfast, or you have a muffin for breakfast, or you have a pumpkin spice latte for breakfast, right? Again, that is going to be the first thing that you have in the morning. Nothing's going to be able to combat that. And you're going to hit a blood sugar spike right out the gate. So that's why if you're going to have dessert, I think personally, the best time to have dessert is after lunch. So have a really robust lunch. That's what the Italians do. They have a big lunch, they have a smaller dinner, and then have dessert after lunch, and then take a walk. So like when I talk about stacking hacks, I would do a really great protein focused lunch. I'd have a little dessert at the end of it. And then I would take a 30 minute walk for the rest of my lunch break. Right. And I would be using three of these hacks at once. Number seven, drink a tablespoon of vinegar. It can be apple cider vinegar before a meal to curve a blood sugar spike. So this can curve a blood sugar spike about about 30%. Now, if drinking a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in some water does not sound appealing to you 
be honest with you, it never sounds appealing to me. Like as much as I know that this is such a great hack, I just don't want to do it. So instead, what I recommend is taking my glucose support supplement is really what I recommend. So I recommend taking 500 milligrams of berberine with your meal to curve a blood sugar spike that can literally curve a blood sugar spike by 30 to 35%. Now, my best-selling herbal glucose and insulin balance supplement is called glucose support. I cannot tell you how excited I was to, to get this formulated. I incorporate berberine along with some of the actually the only other incredible herbs that are designed to not only reduce glucose and insulin levels, but it also has an impact on weight, LDLs, and triglycerides. This is truly the perfect supplement for any woman struggling with PCOS and insulin resistance, and really anyone who's having blood sugar issues. Like if you know you're on the blood sugar roller coaster more often than not, this is a phenomenal supplement. Now, the only contraindications for glucose support because of the, what I consider to be very bioavailable berberine is that women who are pregnant or women who are breastfeeding. So I am still currently breastfeeding. So I'm not taking glucose support personally, but my husband is, and oh my goodness, what an incredible transformation. Now, the best way to take glucose support is you start with two capsules in the morning before breakfast, so it sets the tone for your day, and then two capsules before dinner or before your biggest meal of the day. For me, it's, I'll be honest with you, as much as I want a big lunch, usually dinner, I just moved dinner early. So probably my ninth hack would be move dinner earlier if you can. We are always done with dinner before 6 p.m. these days. And I know that I become more insulin resistant after 6 p.m. So if I can eat dinner before 6 p.m., my blood sugar is way more stable throughout the evening. And when my husband takes glucose support before dinner and we eat before six o'clock, he has almost no movement whatsoever. It is amazing. That's why I love this product so much. And we've had a lot of testimonials come on with glucose support where people have worn continuous glucose monitors or they have been testing their fasting blood sugar every three months because they have prediabetes and their numbers have dropped significantly. So I love it. Now, if you wanna go and grab a bottle of glucose support, I will have it in the link in the show notes. It's 10% off if it's your first time ordering and the essentially whole store. But man, this is a supplement that I just think is going to keep on doing big things for people. Now, if you are consistent with these, well, technically nine hacks, I gave you another hack today, which is eat dinner earlier. Over the course of a couple of months, you are going to lower your blood sugar and in the long term, you're gonna lower your insulin levels. And that's the name of the game. That's the goal. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I want something that's gonna reverse my symptoms like yesterday, because you don't wanna wait, I do have something that can get the job done faster. If you are looking for an easy yet profound reset on your blood sugar, your insulin, and overall system inflammation, and also looking to heal your gut and liver, the number one thing I recommend is my 14-day detox program. I cannot tell you how many women, hundreds of women have gone through the program who've had PCOS and have gotten such incredible results, including getting their menstrual cycle back on track and dropping weight and seeing a lot of their other symptoms go away as well. And this includes my best friend from the story I shared at the very beginning of this episode. My bestie who got her diagnosis at 27 years old, didn't have a period for, gosh, well over a decade and then decided to get off the pill um, in, in her early 40s, and she did my 14-day detox program, she and her husband, and got her period back for the first time in like 20 years, or 
maybe it was like 17 years, something like that. And she lost 15 pounds on the program too, all in 14 days. And her period has stayed since then. I think she was maybe like 41 when she did it. So I just wanted to share, that was one of my favorite testimonials ever, is seeing my best friend get her cycle back, totally shocked. Like she called me and she was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And again, when we can get insulin resistance checked and we can drop the inflammation, our body wants to get back into the normal rhythm of things. You know, even if it's been, gosh, a decade and a half, right? Now, I have something exciting to share. I'm excited to announce that after a year of not launching the 14-day detox, I took a little hiatus and made some improvements and upgraded some things. Next month in mid-December, I'm opening the doors to our January 2023 14-day detox. So I want you to keep your eyes peeled for all the details to come. And if you want to go and check it out now, we have people doing the detox all the time. Now, they don't typically do it with the big group. You know, when we do a live detox, we have close to sometimes a thousand people doing it with us. So, but there are people always doing it constantly because it just works with their schedule. So if you want to go check out the detox, it's going to be in the show notes as well. And if you want to do it with us as a collective group in early January, just keep your eyes open, keep your ears peeled. I promise you, I'm going to be sharing all the details soon to come. Now, the last thing I want to address is a question that I often get with women in regards to PCOS and weight loss. And there's something that's super important for you to know. This is an important piece of information and research that we've discovered in the last several years. And that is a reduction in fasting insulin levels precedes weight loss. So an article published in the Journal of American Medical Association in JAMA in 2021 aimed to answer the question of whether a drop in insulin preceded weight loss or if weight loss precedes a drop in fasting insulin. Meaning, do you need to drop your insulin levels before weight loss or vice versa? We used to always think that it was weight gain that then created insulin resistance. We now know that it's insulin resistance that creates weight gain. And so in order for us to drop that weight, we got to drop our fasting insulin. So a study found that contrary to widely held beliefs, a drop in insulin levels comes before weight loss. So if you're looking to lose weight as a part of your health-related goals, it may be helpful to look at ways to decrease your circulating insulin levels to help kickstart that process. And that's why I really wanted to share the nine hacks today with you and my 14-day detox program, if you're looking for something that's really going to get the job done like, like that, the detox program is it. Like, it's amazing to me that in 14 days, when you really give your body the right foods and you remove all the inflammatory ones, like it's a full-on elimination program, that you can reverse so many symptoms all at once. I mean, because again, if food is one of the biggest drivers for inflammation and you remove that trigger, you remove that root cause, your body goes into, gosh, major, major reset, a major, major recalibration. It kind of reminds me of like, do you remember in the pandemic where in Italy, in, in Venice, where they had, they saw dolphins in the canals after like decades and decades and decades and that's because the boats weren't running nothing was running right everything's just everything stopped 
And then all of a sudden the waters got cleaner and dolphins were, they felt comfortable enough to do that. That's what happens in the body. If you remove all of the, the inflammatory triggers, you remove all the food triggers and you just give your body healthy, healthy, nutrient-dense foods that feed the gut and the liver and reduce inflammation, the transformation, it doesn't take long. It, it's 14 days. And for some women, I recommend 30 days, like double it, or even add an extra seven days onto it. So you're doing it for 21. Because, you know, when you start to see those levels of results and you're just like, oh my gosh, I feel different. I haven't seen these results ever. Um, you you want to just continue doing that. So I have a lot of people who will do the detox for 21 to 30 days because they just want to keep the good times rolling. So just something to think about. I wanted to just share that with you today that, you know, when we're looking at insulin resistance, it again, it has tentacles in so many different areas of the body, including polycystic ovarian syndrome. And if we can get that root cause under control, not only can we have greater reproductive health and longevity, overall, we are preventing further chronic conditions down the road. So I hope that there were some good insights there. If you are loving the content in this episode, be sure to subscribe to this show. Definitely rate it up. If you haven't rated the show yet, I'd love for you to rate it. And if there's someone in your life that needs to hear this episode, again, take a screenshot, send it on to them via text message or Instagram, whatever works best for you. Let's keep spreading the word about hormone literacy. All right, until the next episode, have an amazing day.